Welcome to the Erickson Covenant Podcast. We are so glad that you've joined us today. We confess that we don't have all the answers, but as a community, we seek to find and follow Jesus and to discover daily the life he has always wanted for us. We hope this message will be encouraging and will inspire you to take the next steps on your spiritual journey. If we can help you in any way, please connect with us. The easiest way is through our website at ericksoncovenant.ca. Let's get started. I have got a skill testing multiple choice question, scenario question for you today. You ready for this? A, A wild man bursts out of the wilderness with news that a king is coming. Do you, A, avert your eyes and just sort of try to sidestep him? You know, like someone should help that guy. That's option A. Option B, wonder what he's been having so you can get some for yourself. <laughs> what is he on? Yeah. Or C, take him seriously and start getting ready. Wash the car, wash the kids, polish the silverware. Those are your three options. So let's try. Wild man comes out of the bush saying the king is coming. What do you do? Option A. Avert your eyes and just kind of sidestep them. Who's with me? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, how about you B, option B, people? What is he smoking? What is he having? I want some too. Anyone going to admit that? I'm looking. Thank you, Peter. I knew someone would be honest. And then, of course, there's the third option. Take him seriously. Start looking around. Okay, the king is coming. How many of you think you might have been in that camp? Oh, you're all so humble. You don't want to say yes to that. But if you'd been there on the day when John the Baptist came out of the bush with this word of God given to him, how would you have responded? How would you have, what would you have thought seeing this guy, hearing him? John was a prophet Last in a long, long, long line of prophets. He was raised out in the wild lands, and we know really nothing about him until that day the word of God came to him. We don't know if the word of God was, John, it's time. (laughs) But it was on him, and he knew it was time. And so he broke his isolation, and out of the bush he comes. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. And John's voice echoed right from that wilderness beyond Jordan, right through to the very walls of Jerusalem. And people came streaming from all over to hear him thunder. Many of them to repent and to be baptized so they could be ready for the coming Messiah King. Others looked on. They were fascinated. Others were really offended. John's prophetic ministry was not only the fulfillment of these prophecies that Luke gives us from Isaiah, from Malachi, other allusions, Luke highlights them, but he's also stepping into more recent prophetic utterances given by the angel Gabriel before he was even conceived. Then again by his father on the day that he was named. Remember that? Back in Luke chapter 1, Gabriel tells John's would-be father, a bit shocked because he's kind of old, and so is she, tells him, 
your son will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God. He will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. And Zechariah was skeptical at first, but after nine months of silence imposed upon him because of his skepticism, he joins the prophetic chorus declaring over John, I quote, you, my child, will be a prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him, to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins. This is the prophecy that John was stepping into. He had one mission. He was born for one purpose, to prepare people for Jesus. That was his job. From before he was conceived till the day he died, he was given over to this mission. Would people believe him? Would people get ready? What difference would that make? Well, that's what we're diving in. And we get a front row seat today to this forerunner of the Messiah, Jesus. John, who was filled with the Holy Spirit in utero, now growing up in the wilderness, strong in spirit, destined for a greatness absolutely unmatched. He's the one who came before the one who came for us. What a place to be. It's a compelling story, and I hope that it inspires us today. It challenges us today as followers of the one who John came to prepare us for. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, it is a privilege to open your word today and to learn about your servant John and to learn about you. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would guide us today to receive what you have for us. May our hearts and our minds be open to you. May we be ready to receive and act upon what we learn. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Well, Luke, you might remember, he really wants us to take John seriously. Remember, most of chapter one in Luke is dedicated to John, not Jesus. There's a little bit in there about Jesus, but it's, it's, it's mostly dedicated to John and his, this, the birth announcement by angel and, and the, the prophetic utterances given, the surprise conception, what the, what the, you know, the neighborhood thinks. It's not unlike the ancient conception story of Abraham and Sarah. John, like that story, came as a sign that God was initiating a new thing. And his long-promised rescue operation was beginning now, in this time, in this space, through this child. And John, uh, Luke narrates John's life. And, and in there, we have, the, of course, the conception of, of Jesus and Mary and her interaction with Elizabeth, John's mom. But the whole story is really uh, mostly about John. And then right to the end of the chapter, Luke just leaves John out in the wilderness for a while. And he's out there for quite a while. Of course, chapter 2 of Luke shifts most famously to the story of Jesus, the Christmas story, as well as his circumcision and all the prophecies, all the things that happened there and his 12-year-old sojourn to the temple and then our long sojourn in the last verse, growing in wisdom and stature in favor with God and favor with people. But, but now, here at, the ch- at chapter 3, Luke swings us back to John. 
and he meticulously places this mysterious wilderness prophet within the geopolitical as well as the national religious world of his day. I know, it's that part of the Bible, especially if you're newer to reading it, where you think, why am I trying to pronounce all these names? Who are these guys and who cares, right? I'm with you. But Luke is doing something important here. He names the emperor of Rome, as well as his governor, Pilate, and the tetrarchs of Palestine, and the current high priestly power base, reminding us, well, yes, that Luke's actually a really good historian. And then it, it reminds us, Remember, when he starts his whole book, he tells us he's going to set out an orderly account. An orderly account of Jesus' life and ministry so that we can be certain of what we believed. And this reminds us that Luke is doing his job. He's not just, this is not fairy tale stuff. This is not mythological. This is not sitting out there for anyone to grab. This is rooted in history at a time and a place, and there are powers at work. But more than that, Luke is actually setting up a vivid contrast for us. All these powerful men, with their political and religious machinations, wicked through and through every one of them, and stopping at nothing to retain their clutch on power. And there's a real contrast here with this guy. (laughs) Who? (laughs) A voice in the wilderness, shouting, announcing, get this, a regime change that there's another king coming, a Messiah king. It's like, watch out, you kings and priests, because your doom is at hand. That's the kind of message John is giving. And you people, you better get ready for his coming, or you're in trouble. Did the powers even notice? Um, Not at first, I'm sure. Eventually they noticed. We know that from the story. Uh, John pokes Herod right in the eye to get his attention, and he does. John is jailed for it, eventually beheaded. Later, of course, Jesus suffers under Pontius Pilate. We quote that when we recite the creed. But he was mocked by Herod. But at first, this wilderness voice of John would have likely been ignored. He was just another nut out in the wild, raving about the thing that God is doing, but look around and see who's in control. And haven't we seen this before? I'm sure it'll go away. But... People heard him. People were caught by it. This voice drew them out. And come they did to John. John, who was filled with the Holy Spirit and speaking the word of God, was actually gaining attention, gaining crowds, followers. And you might have noticed it's not because he's a comforting sort of fellow a gentle prophet. They didn't tend to run that direction. He wasn't a sensitive preacher. He wasn't for familiar gush and feel-good messages. (laughs) You brood of vipers! Who warned you to flee from the wrath to come, right? Don't you just love that opening line, anyone? He's watching people come to him in these wild places to hear his preaching and be baptized. And how does John greet them? Oh, it's so good that you're here today. You know, would you join us for potluck afterwards? I promise the food's good. Oh, nice dress, Miss McGillicuddy. You know, this is not what's coming from John. Etiquette and niceties were not gifted to John along with the other gifts he was given. It could be a sign again that his parents died when he was young. 
you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath, he says. Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father, for I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. The ax is already at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. Isn't that terrific? Would you love that? You snakes. It's like, you snakes, get your life in line. You ain't nothing special. Turn or burn, baby. Turn or burn. It's give the man a sandwich board and a bullhorn, and he's right at home. You know, you small group leaders might want to try this next time (laughs) when your folks knock on the door for small group. Just open it and say, you brood of vipers. And then the next one that comes in says, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Try it. Or perhaps you dream team members could try a new greeting for any newcomers next week <laughs> when they arrive Sunday morning. So what's going on here? What is John doing? He's deeply rooted in all the prophets that have come before him. And like all those prophets, John was calling people back to Yahweh, warning them of what would happen if they didn't turn around. You're heading off a cliff. If you don't turn around now, destruction is coming. The book of Deuteronomy, the fifth book in the Bible, the fifth book in the Torah, lays this all out in crystal clarity. That faithfulness to Yahweh is the way of life and that to forsake his way of life will result in death. It's super clear. It's Moses' reiteration um, of, of everything that has already been said to God's people but now given to the second generation just before they go into the promised land. Take a read through Deuteronomy sometime just to see how this plays out. It is really clear. It gives promises of blessings and cursings. It, it t- gives warnings as well as, as, as encouragement. And each and every prophet down through the ages when they were sent to God's people who had rejected Yahweh and his ways, it's like they had this book in particular in hand. And they would come with the word of the Lord to say the same essential point. Turn back or die. Unless you repent, you will also perish. That's what Jesus said in Luke 13. A lot of times we think of the prophets as people that come on the scene and then tell people about the future. But in reality, most of the biblical prophets were reaching back and saying to them, you already know what your future is going to be like if you keep going that direction because God told you, get back to the ways of God so that your future looks like the other future God promised, the good one, as opposed to the bad one, which you will receive if you continue. And so they constantly called people back to faithfulness to Yahweh. Return, return, return. Repent, repent, repent. True prophets called God's people to turn away from idolatry, to turn away from injustice, and to serve the living God in fear and in faithfulness to his covenant with them. And so John's essential message is precisely that. Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. Means live in the fear of the Lord. 
Be faithful in his ways. Live a life loving God and loving your neighbor. Your life will look like the God you worship. And so John would say, live a life that actually looks like the God you worship. And like all the prophets before him, he would warn them of that deadly presumption of status, of identity, of resting on your heritage. The prophet Amos famously said 700 years before, when, when, when the people of his day were thinking, well, we're good. Yeah, God can go judge all the other nations, but hey, look at us. We're his special chosen ones. Amos, the word of God through Amos said, you only have I chosen of all the families of the earth, to which they would go, you bet. We are the chosen ones. You only have I chosen of all the families of the earth. Therefore, I will punish you for all your sins. The prophets would constantly warn the people of God not to presume upon their identity. And so John echoes that same prophetic sentiment. You think your status will protect you? Hardly. Where are you off to, you slithering bunch of snakes? Get your life in line. God can get kids absolutely anywhere. And we cringe at this kind of messaging. Or is it just me? Do you cringe a little bit? Some of you might be cringing right now. Yike, I came here to, you know, be comforted. And then we've got to listen to this guy. <laughs> You'd think everyone would have hated him. I mean, who wants, to, who wants that kind of barrage? But actually, look what happened. People came in droves. Yes, they did. In droves they came to get ready. People came asking for baptism. They were taking to heart this threatening message and they were turning their lives around so they could see the one who was coming. And we know their response to John in this moment had an enormous ripple effect going forwards. We know, in fact, that this message of John and how people responded to John actually set people up to then hear and respond to Jesus, the Messiah himself. How do we know that? This gets to the question of, like, was John's ministry, which was, let's be honest, pretty short-lived, effective at all? Or was he really just a voice out in the wilderness shouting? Well, Luke actually points out something really interesting later in the gospel. It's in Luke uh, chapter 7. Jesus is teaching and healing people and proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. And people are responding to Jesus in two ways. They're accepting the message of Jesus. They're coming to follow him or they're rejecting him altogether. And in Luke 7, 29 to 30, we read this little comment by Luke. All the people even the tax collectors, when they heard Jesus' words, acknowledged that God's way was right because they had been baptized by John. But the Pharisees and the experts of the law rejected God's purposes for themselves because they had not been baptized by John. Isn't that interesting? Baptism by John, in other words, this response to John's message, was some kind of dividing line. It it actually indicated where people were, where their hearts were, 
and being baptized by John out in the bush somewhere beyond Jordan, it actually set people up to hear, to respond, to put into practice Jesus' own teaching. And this is kind of what we should have expected, I suppose. John wasn't just announcing the coming of the Messiah. He was trying to help people get ready. He was showing up in town to say, people, let's get your heart, your soul, your mind, your body ready for the king. He was getting people. It's like he's going through the crowd and he's physically turning people around so they stop looking this direction and they start looking this direction so they'll be ready to see the Messiah when he comes. Isn't that interesting? Did you notice how people responded to this produce fruit in keeping with repentance? Luke draws our attention to it in the story. You might have caught it when you heard it read. Luke draws our attention to their response by repeating their question three times for us. In a, in, a, in a way of writing that is always very carefully chosen and very sparse, when things repeat like that, we should pay attention. We hear three times the question, what should we do? What should we do? What should we do? The crowds ask, what should we do? The tax collectors ask, what should we do? And then soldiers ask, what should we do? We want to keep fruit. We want to produce fruit in keeping with repentance. What should we do? In other words, how do we put into practice what you're telling us? Not just say it, not just, you know, mouth a few words, but how do we actually do this thing? Three times we hear the question. Listen again to John's answers to each of them. What should we do then? The crowds asked. John answered, anyone who has two shirts should share with the one who has none. Is anyone here without a shirt? Because I've got two on. And anyone who has food should do the same. Even tax collectors came to be baptized. You understand when that word shows up, tax collectors, it's kind of like, Bleh. even those guys, right? Even tax collectors showed up to be baptized. Teacher, they asked, what should we do? Don't collect any more than you're required to, he told them. Then some soldiers asked him, and what should we do? He replied, don't extort money and don't accuse people falsely. Be content with your pay. Hey, just a little moment here of, of, of response. What did you notice about those responses from John? What did you notice? Just shout it out and I'll repeat it for the camera for those who are online. It's all about money. Did anyone else notice that? Anyone? No? Is that a let, moment of honesty? Who didn't notice that it was all about money? Just hands up. Just, just don't, don't be shy. Don't be shy. This is how this works. All about money. What, what else did you notice? They're all tied to Old Testament commandments. Yep. Particularly related to justice, money. They're all about relationship to another person, each other or others that we're connected with somehow. Yes. Terribly practical. Like there's really not a lot of like interpretive room there. Got a shirt. Someone else doesn't have one. Take it off and give it to them, right? Stop taking more than you should. Like it's super practical. Don't you hate it when preachers are that practical? 
What else did you notice? Anything else? Yeah, there's a, a, still what the advice should be for us. There's a practical, ethical, moral guidance that's given here that applies to us today. Absolutely. Isn't this fascinating that when John is asked, what should we do? He applies it to the specific situation. Like tax collectors were given the responsibility to go out and collect taxes, and were notorious for collecting more than they were supposed to and lining their own pockets. Everyone kind of expected that, knew that, and that's why they were hated so much. But he applies it to their situation, to each of them. He's making this application. They all have something to do with money. They all have something to do with the economic thing that's going on, but they're all connected to justice. They're all connected to relational righteousness, to the kind of society, the kind of culture, the kind of people that God had always intended them to be, where his holiness, you know, be holy because I am holy, where his holiness is lived out in the lives of the people who follow him. Living faithful to God is bound up completely with living in right relationships with others. All the prophets said this. We've talked about this before. Prophets really went on and on about two things, idolatry and injustice. That was their thing. And usually those were connected, tied together. Read Jeremiah 7 sometime. Read the the book of Amos. It's all over the place. And so John is saying and challenging them. He's saying, look, if you want to see the Messiah when he comes, then get yourself ready by living righteously in your relationships as you were told to do all along. And yeah, by the way, it's like John, by the way, (laughs) this will cost you. You know, it's not free in that sense. There's cost to it. That's why the challenge is always given later, even when following Jesus. Count the cost. You got to lay down your life. You got to actually look at what it means to deny yourself and pick up your cross and follow him. And there's these promises given that if you give it all up, you'll gain your life. There's a lot of cost involved to living generously or living honorably or living contentedly. As he helps them figure out in their own lives, what does it mean for me to get ready for the king? What does it mean for me to produce fruit in keeping with repentance? Well, It's amazing. All of this challenge that John gives, it's amazing that he levels so much of it at the financial level. I think I think there's something there. I'm just this is side point, not 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 central to the the, the point today, but could it be that John knew everything we say is always wah 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 until it involves our cash? You know? That's just that's just terribly true, isn't it? And he knew that. And he knew that central to this act of change is going to have to be a releasing, yeah, heart, mind, soul, strength, but honestly, it's going to hit us where we live financially. Well, perhaps surprisingly, people really did respond. And their response was a sign of kingdom coming. In fact, John was so effective in what he was doing. His ministry was so powerful that people began to wonder if he himself might not be the Messiah. That's pretty effective. That's pretty powerful. And so they asked him flat out, but John knew his place. 
From the moment he was born, his parents had told him, this is who you are. This is what the angel said. This is who you're destined to be. And he, filled with the Holy Spirit, in all those years of wilderness isolation, was being trained up, strong in spirit, ready for the job he'd been given. He understood in his bones and in his spirit that his role in this world was defined by one thing. He was the forerunner of the one who was coming. He was the herald of the king. And so, it's no big deal for John to point himself, point the crowds away from himself to the Messiah who was coming and through whose coming would be both salvation and judgment. And no, it's pretty clear in all the Gospels that John didn't fully understand what that would mean. He didn't fully get what Jesus would do. But wow, did he complete the mission he was given with verve. We credit him with that. John sets Jesus up perfectly. And then almost as swiftly as he arrives in the scene, he's removed from play. John being John and not shy about mincing words, provokes the ire of Herod by telling Herod he shouldn't have married Herodias because you know you're related to her. She's your sister. Your brother's wife and actually your niece too, but let's leave that aside for a minute. And then swoosh, John is gone. And later, a second swoosh, and John is beheaded, the greatest of all the prophets, destined for greatness, if only for the briefest of moments. Perhaps there's another warning in there for us all. If you dare contradict the sexual ethics, the moral confusion of the culture of your day, swoosh. Well, how can we respond to this story? I mean, our task as students of the word, as apprentices of the master, is to come to the story of Jesus and then ask, how do I put this into practice? How do you put this into practice, friends? How do we respond to this story? Do you find it a little challenging? Let me offer you a few reflections. The first one that struck me is this. How we respond to challenging truth today will influence, or maybe you could even say determine, how you will grow tomorrow. I'll say that again. How we respond to challenging truth today will influence and perhaps even determine how we grow tomorrow. There's something about the way John approached people with powerful truth that was offensive. There was something about the way people were willing to receive it, to ask if you cut through all of the brood of vipers business, is this true? They were willing to, in humility, receive this powerful, threatening word, and they were willing to to respond. The truth is, there are times when we resist receiving truth from God's word, from even each other. Perhaps sometimes because that truth is not couched quite as gently as we would like and we're quite sensitized to that sort of thing. We like things given to us nicely. Are you with me? Because I do. I kind of like the gentle answer that turns away wrath, not this guy right? 
But there's something about being willing and open with a heart that says, I'm willing to listen to challenging truth. I approach your word, God, with an openness to receive things that are uncomfortable for me. Things that challenge me in places that I don't want to be challenged. Things that poke in places I don't want to be poked. And that we come to the word of God with a submissive open heart and say, Lord Jesus, if there is any wicked way in me, Psalm 139, see if there's any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. That we approach with an openness to receive hard truth because we know that it is only as we respond to hard truth that we can actually grow and experience what God has for us. But a lot of us are far too offendable. We get upset. And our friends dance around us because they try to figure out how in the world can I tell her the truth? Because she'll break down into tears, she'll accuse me of being judgmental, and she won't talk to me for two weeks. And I'm married to her. Um... (laughs) I'm not married to her. This is the hypothetical. (laughs) Do you know what I'm saying? Or this guy, there's such a, a need for him to receive this truth spoken in love, but he's so hard headed and he's so proud and he's so resistant that he can't receive it. And some of us can be that way. And maybe that's because We've been hurt before. And maybe it's because um, we don't know our own hearts. I don't know all the reasons. What I do know is this. If we will humble ourselves and receive hard truth, we will grow. We will grow. Now, if you're on the giving end of that, you don't need to be a jerk, right? You don't need to be a jerk. You don't need to be him, John. Let him be him. You be you. I'm actually wanting to address those of us who are on the receiving end. Are we willing to receive hard truth for the sake of growth of life? Proverbs 27 talks, Better is open rebuke than hidden love. Wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. And there's something in here about being a maturing follower of Jesus, a maturing apprentice of Jesus, where we learn to, yes, speak the truth in love, but receive the truth that is given in love, even if it's given awkwardly and not done very well. Somehow we can cut through that and say, I'm not going to get offended here. I'm not going to march off. I'm not going to stonewall you. I'm actually going to, in humility, receive, Lord, what do you have for me in this? And maybe the person is a bit confused. Maybe they got it kind of wrong. But in the midst of that, learn and repent and grow and say, Lord, can you teach me through this? I think there's something in here for us in that. Because we're not in the same position as these crowds coming out to hear John. We're not, we're not, we're not. We're, we're, a lot of us are followers of Jesus. Some of us are exploring what it means to follow Jesus. But we can't reproduce that moment. But we can see in that the call that is hard to receive and ask ourselves, how do we be open to the truth of God that can actually challenge us where we live so that we can truly live.
And so you might want to ask some practical questions as you journal, as you walk with a spiritual friend, as you go to your small group. You may want to start inviting a person or two in your life that you trust. Hey, I want to hear truth from you. Um, I don't even know if I can, but I want to. And could we start talking about that together? How we respond to challenging truth today will influence, if not determine, how we grow tomorrow. Second reflection. Living faithfully means living fruitfully. But living fruitfully means actually living a life that is aligned with God's ways and his will. This challenge, producing fruit and keeping repentance, just another way, Paul said a similar thing in his letters. It's about living a life worthy of the gospel. It's about looking like the king that we follow. And yes, it is a direct line to our hearts, our minds, and our wallets. Jesus said that too. It connects to the whole of our lives. But there's something about this call that we need to hear. Because there's times where we get distracted and we start going this direction and then the word of God comes in, maybe coming through a man like John, maybe coming through a friend, brother, spouse, maybe coming from the voice of the spirit in the wind. But we realize, oh, I am distracted. I am misfocused. I have forgotten. And there's a call to turn back. Repentance just means to turn and go the other way. And so we realize producing fruit and keeping with repentance means that we actually keep walking faithfully after Jesus and letting the Holy Spirit produce in us the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of his life, the fruit of his kingdom. And there's times where we have to just remember, oh, right, I'm not going that direction. That's the direction I used to go. I'm not going that direction. I'm going this direction. I'm following Jesus. And so, Lord Jesus, would you continue by your spirit to produce fruit in me that is in keeping with the direction you're going? There's a challenge in there for us, too. How we live, how we work, how we love, how we share with those in need how we have integrity in our business, all these things is a sure testament to who we serve and who we worship. And then my third reflection is this. We must always remember at moments, particularly as we are, we are into the story of Luke that is just setting up the coming of Jesus. It's important that we locate ourselves within that story and remember this. Jesus came to bear the true fruit of repentance for us. Jesus came to be the righteous one for us. It is very important that we don't hear this story and think it is all on me. It is all on you, buddy, and you better buck up or you're going to burn. That's not the gospel. The gospel is that the world was in trouble, that every one of us were heading off a cliff, but Jesus came and bore the fruit of repentance for us. And he actually did it in a way that John the Baptist himself was unable to understand. You saw what John was announcing. When that Messiah shows up, man, you're all going to burn. That's basically what he's telling them. Judgment's going to fall on you. John himself didn't realize that when Jesus himself showed up, 
oh, there'd be fire and judgment. And it would be for us. But that Jesus himself would take it away. Would take it upon himself. That he would enter into the waters of baptism. Next week we'll look at that. He'll do that as an act of stepping into our place to actually be the one who bears the full weight of both judgment, fire, repentance, life, to do it for us. And then offer it back to us as the good news. John warns people of what will happen when Jesus comes, not realizing that when Jesus came, everything that John thought was going to happen would happen but to Jesus himself. Now, that doesn't mean there isn't judgment for those outside Christ. There is. But the offer of salvation is to all who will turn and look at Jesus and say, oh my goodness, thank God for Jesus. He came, he stepped in, he became everything I couldn't be. He repented on my behalf. He bore the judgment for me. And now he's the one that continues to bear the fruit of true repentance on my behalf so that I can be caught in his wake. All I have to do now is say, thank you, Jesus, and step after him, follow him into life itself. Jesus comes to bear the fruit of true repentance on our behalf. And so we come to the end of this story and we realize, Jesus, we really have very little going for us here except you. (laughs) And that's everything we need. And so we don't come to the end of the story. I know maybe some of us could. We come to the end of the story and think, oh my, look at John. I feel bad. I feel threatened. Well, we keep reading in the story and realize that Jesus, the one that John was announcing, has come for you, has come for me. Which means, in the glorious whole story, that as he came and stepped into our place and offered us life itself, as he bore our sin to the cross and died in our place, as he rose again from the dead in power, resurrected for us, and then sent his Holy Spirit to live in us so that we, as the very temple of God, could grow in him and have life in him and flourish in him, not because we were great, but because he is. We can come to this story and realize that it leads us to worship. It leads us to Jesus. It leads us to remember again the one that we serve and worship, the one who loves us and calls us to follow him. So I hope that's an encouragement to you. The team is going to come and lead us in one final song, which will be a beautiful expression of our hope and our life in Jesus. Jesus, thanks for being our guide and our friend. Thank you for your servant, John, and the way that he so beautifully set you up. May we receive today all that you have for us. May we be open to walking with you in life and in truth, trusting in you, your work on our behalf, but also letting you by your spirit change us and grow us more and more into your image. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening in today. We hope you feel encouraged and challenged. If you know someone who would benefit from what you have heard today, please share this podcast. 
For more information, or if you have questions, you can connect with us through our website, ericksoncovenant.ca. You can also find us on Facebook by searching for Erickson Covenant Church.